You're listening to Rock, Pop, and Roll. Yeah, baby. One, two, one, two, three, This is Rock, Pop, and Roll, the podcast. Episode number 29, The Legend of the Great Joan Jett. You know when you're close, you really turn me on. That's why I want you so bad when you're gone. I just wanted to dig, to dig into her catalog a little bit and talk about, we're going to talk today about why she's great. What, what, what is it? I think she's underappreciated, undervalued. Joan Jett? This is rock, pop, and roll. Hang on. How's everybody doing? Are you doing well? I hope you are. So rock, pop, and roll, this episode is Joan Jett coming up with a title. I'm like, what's the title for this one? And it's Joan Jett, an underappreciated rock and roll legend. Could that be fair? Can that be fair? Is, uh, is she underappreciated? We could talk about it on rock, pop, and roll. I'm Rob, right here from Indiana. Recording live to digital, and we're just going to dig into this catalog. We're going to talk about Joan and what I think and what you, you might think about her and, and what she had, what she sounds like, what she still sounds like, and the music that she's still making. It's Joan Jett, and, and, and I love it. So Joan Jett, uh, you got to go back to the runaways, right? She was in The Runaways at age 16. When you were down, they were never there. I love this track. This is uh, Fake Friends off of her third record called Album. So Jet was with The Runaways. They, they, they were popular in Europe, Asia, Australia, Canada, South America, everywhere except for the United States. Uh, Pat Smear, who's the guitarist for uh, the Foo Fighters, he was in a band called The Germs, which was a punk band that uh, ran into Joan. He was in Nirvana. When Kurt Cobain said, hey, we need a second guitarist, Pat Smear was in Nirvana. Pat says, he says what they were doing in L.A., what they were doing in New York and London they were getting kids to join bands. You got to put the Runaways, he says, on the same level as a band like the Ramones or a band like the Sex Pistols. Well, why did you wait? Your chance is gone and now you're too late. His early Runaways, Little Sister. I mean, you hear the rock and you hear the punk, both in that. The Runaways. Forget the movie that was made about them. Think about the band. What they were doing. They were kids. Girls. Rocking. 
Now, the band opened for Cheap Trick. They opened for the Ramones, Van Halen, Tom Petty, and the Heartbreakers. They found success everywhere but the United States, right? Why was that? I don't know. Uh, It had that punk ethic to it. More something that England liked better than, than the United States. I mean, the Sex Pistols, right? It was touring in England with the Runaways in 76 that Joan first heard the song, I Love Rock and Roll. She saw a band called The Arrows perform it on, they had a weekly television series in the UK. She saw them uh, do the song. That stuck in her head. She smiled so I got up and asked for her name. So that's the Arrows version. It's got the hand claps in it like Joan had. Became a train mark of Joan Jett. We were moving on and she was with me. Yeah, me. Next we were moving on. So maybe if if she hadn't heard this song, she wouldn't have incorporated the hand claps and all the stuff that she put out. So those are the Arrows. Their version. In, in 79, Jet was working in England. By that time, she had left the Runaways. The, the group had, you know, blown up. She was on a solo career. She recorded three songs with the Sex Pistols, uh, Steve Jones, the guitar player, and Paul Cook, the drummer. One of the songs that they recorded was an early version of I Love Rock and Roll back in 79 before she re-recorded it and made it. Her own hit. Also in 79, uh, she met a guy named Kenny Laguna, songwriter, producer. He was hired to be her manager, helped to write some tracks. They became friends. They decided to work together. Joan Jett moved to Long Beach, New York. Long Beach, New York, where Laguna lived. She moved in with him and his wife, lived there for years. He's still in her band. If you go see her today... 2022 as we record this you go see Joan Jett and she's going to be on the tour with Molly Crew and Poison and Def Leppard that stadium tour Kenny Laguna is going to be playing keyboards for her still does so her she recorded a, uh, a solo debut ended up making an album self-titled at the time it was released only in Europe in 1980 in the US the legend is you got to take it as truth because the Joan Jett folks say it, that the album was rejected by 23 labels. 23 record labels said no. So they they put together their own record label, Blackheart Records, released the album independently. They sold it out of the trunk of Laguna's car after shows. He started the label with his daughter's college savings, and the album got big enough that they couldn't keep up for demand, with the demand. So they eventually went with Casablanca Records. Neil Bogart, who was the head of Casablanca, made a deal with Laguna, signed Jet to his new label called Boardwalk Records, and re-released the Joan Jet album as Bad Reputation. That song, Bad Reputation, became the title track, and that maybe, as I thought about it, you know what she did there, the Bad Reputation, and releasing that, and that's her first album, and the first song that you may have heard from her that you knew was Joan Jett, not the Runaways. That may be one of the top five like statements of purpose and style and attitude fully realized from a rock star ever. Top five, probably. Bad reputation, that statement, what Joan Jett was singing about, I don't give a damn about, was what she became. That image 
she kind of made that real in her music and live. And it's the song that cements her place as an integral member of that punk and rock and roll sound put together, right? I think she still opens a lot of her shows with this. This is Rock, Pop, and Roll Joan Jett. Why She Matters. Well, side note about uh, our, our friend Kenny Laguna. Laguna played keyboards for a time with Tommy James and the Shondells, who we'll touch on here in just a little bit. Played on their 1968 hit single, Money Money. He also played keyboards for a little studio band called Crazy Elephant. They had a, a, a AM radio hit with Gimme Gimme Good Lovin'. Had big keyboards on it. And he was also, I had this 45 when I was a kid. Kenny Laguna was on it. He was uh, the keyboard player on the second Ohio Express album, a bubblegum pop band. But he played on Yummy, Yummy, Yummy. One of the greats. I'm a sucker for bubblegum rock and roll. I love it when bands cover bubblegum rock and roll and crunch it up a little bit. That's right. Uh, The Ohio Express, look them up. So after a a year of touring and recording behind that uh, retitled debut album, she had a new band, The Black Hearts. Great band names of all time. Hmm? She recorded a new album called I Love Rock and Roll. She cashed in on that memory of the Arrows, performing the song all those years ago on the TV show. Well, all those years ago now, a couple of years removed from when she recorded the album. The cover that Joan Jett and the Blackhearts recorded was the first single from the album, title track. The song was huge. It was number one in the U.S. for seven weeks. I can still remember riding in the car as uh, probably I would have been like 14 or 15 hearing this and going, oh my God, that is so good. Number one for seven weeks. I mean, it's still played, right? Classic hit stations. Some classic rock stations play that. A lot, of st- a lot of radio still plays it. Uh, the follow-up to that thing was Crimson and Clover. Uh, I told you we were going to talk about Tommy James and the Shondells. Crimson and Clover, it went uh, it went into the top ten. Crimson and Clover did. It reached number seven on the Billboard Hot 100, the second highest charting hit in the U.S. for the band. So now it was officially a big album, right? Two top tens. The momentum of that first song being number one at seven weeks certainly help the follow-up single play uh, get played, but Crimson and Clover rocked. Yeah. 
I mean, Crimson and Clover, the original, especially the long version, there's two, there's a single version, which is three minutes and 45 seconds long, and then there's a nearly six minute long full-length album version of Tommy James and the Shondells version of Crimson and Clover. But I don't know, I think this one beats them. I mean, Tommy James is different, it's more psychedelic, this is more rock and roll, right? But a cool, great, great cover, and then they kick into it at the end, and let's go. The image, do you remember the image on the I Love Rock and Roll album, the album cover? I believe she had a pink jacket, blue background. That cover photograph was shot by a guy, a British photographer named Mick Rock, famous rock and roll photographer, considered one of, that is now one of the most iconic images in rock music history. You see that, that's like, there's Joan Jett, right? Rock said, quote, I saw her as a female Elvis. And knowing that quote, and if you look at the album, that does make sense. Jet said she got the uh, inspiration at that point from glam rock stars. She said, I learned to scream from Mark Bolin of T-Rex. Mark Bolin, T-Rex, Bang a Gong is the one everybody knows. You can hear that lick in this one. This is a song called Telegram Sam. So the third album from uh, Joan Jed was one called Album. Fake Friends was on that one that we heard earlier. MTV played the music on the radio, though. The song only scraped by the top 40 into the top 40 at number 35. Kenny Laguna he told Cream Magazine at one point that he wanted to not make Fake Friends the first single, uh, but he was he was overruled at the time uh, by the folks at the record label. The second release from that album, though, is a great forgotten track. The song, it's part of one of the best. That album sounds really good. I was listening to her catalog as I was putting together this podcast. Just, to, you know, there's some stuff that you know all uh, real well like the radio songs, and then there's stuff that you just, I hadn't heard. And so I want you want to hear what you're going to be talking about in case you have to refer to something. So as I'm listening, that third album, called Album, great-sounding album from her career. Maybe the best-sounding, sound, you know, studio, uh, mastering, mixing, that piece of it. Cranked up the guitars, the, the snare sounded great, a great 80s sound from uh, an album of that period and a great vocal performance from Joan Jett is prime Joan Jett that third album it didn't get it just didn't get it wasn't the follow-up for some reason that people wanted lots and lots and lots of grinding guitars clean gritty guitars clean but gritty right everyday people was that second single it peaked only at number 37 a big time underappreciated in her catalog the version of everyday people is one of the great covers in rock history it's a killer version of that song killer Love the guitars. So Joan said 
The way that she looked, that black leather, the black shag haircut, her sound. Joan says she admits that it wasn't not entirely original. Her inspiration, rocker Susie Quattro. Talking to a publication called the Irish Times, Jet said she remembered finding Quattro in her first hit, Can the Can, and that topped the British charts. Uh, more than two million copies sold. Susie Quattro still releasing albums. The Devil in Me in 2021 was one she put out. She's remembered more for her leather Tescadero part in Happy Days than her music, sadly. Um, but that's how I that's how I was that's how I discovered Susie Quattro was leather Tescadero in Happy Days. And she did what she did, Devil Gate Devil's Gate Drive and I think she did an Elvis song, All Shook Up. There's a good documentary about her called Suzy Q. Uh, between 1973 and 1980, Quattro spent 101 weeks in the British charts. Like, um, well, the Devil's Gate Drive, 48 Crash. 48 Crash. 48 Took a lot of inspiration she did from glam rock and roll. Part she was really part of that punk glam rock and roll. Susie Quattro. So there was a fourth album that that was forthcoming from Joan Jett. It was called Good Music. Uh, Beach Boys, uh, Carl Wilson, Al Hardeen, Bruce Johnston, Mike Love. They sang backup on the title track of that album. I'm not sure that they needed the Beach Boys on the song, but the Beach Boys were on the song. I need good music. Good, good music. It always feels so good to hear good music. Also on that album, the great Darlene Love sang background vocals. Much better was actually a t- uh, than the title cut was a Beach Boys cover that she did. Uh, she did a version of "Fun, Fun, Fun" on that good music uh, album. So even though uh, Joan Jett's place in rock history, that lineage would have been solid without another hit. She really, through this album, really had the "I Love Rock and Roll" album and the two hits, and those were in the consciousness of most listeners who. Even if they weren't fanatical about her, they knew those songs. More than a one-hit wonder, but really she only had that one big album. So by this time, it's 87, and she leaned close enough to that pop hair metal sound of the back half of the decade of the 80s, right? She cranked up her herself one more time into the top ten, though. Radio remembered her. MTV liked her vibe. I Hate Myself for Loving You was a, a top 10, number 8 on the Billboard Hot 100 from the 86. It was actually, the album came out in 86. Album was called Up Your Alley. Mick Taylor, ex-Rolling Stone Mick Taylor, plays guitar. He plays the solo uh, on the song, I Hate Myself for Loving You. Attitude and yelps and shouts. It's got all the trademark Joan Jett stuff in there. She made the single that took that Bon Jovi and pop metal template, gave it a little more rough and grainy sound, even within that big 80s production tent of the time even with that bombast she wiggled her way in there and and found a way to to make that kind of sound sound real
Hammond key, Hammond B3 keyboard. Man, I'm a sucker for that in there too. Yeah, this is rock, pop, and roll. The podcast. Joan Jett, why she matters and why she rocks. That's what we're talking about. So she had that hit, and then she uh, took an acting role. A movie with Michael J. Fox. Uh, the, the movie was called Light of Day. They did a soundtrack for the movie, the title track, Light of Day. The film, if you haven't seen the film, it tries, oh, how do I say? It tries really hard to be something. I've seen it a couple of times. Because I was like, man, I like the music. I like Joan Jett. I like Michael J. Fox. It ends up trying to be a drama, but didn't have a whole lot going for it, for me, outside of the band stuff and the music. It tried hard. Michael J. Fox in his post Back to to the Future a slide into playing Chuck Berry riffs for a band called the Barbusters. That's the band in the movie. That song, uh, Light of Day, as a single, reached number 33 on the Billboard Hot 187. On the label, it was credited to the Barbusters with Joan Jett and the Blackhearts in parentheses. So they, they went all in with the movie. The song was written by Bruce Springsteen. The backstory to that is it was a payback to movie director Paul Schrader because that was the original title of the Light of Day movie was uh, Born in the USA. Springsteen had read the script to make sure from Schrader, he said he gave the script to Springsteen because he wanted to make sure he got the details right on the band. So Springsteen wrote, uh, took the title, said, that's a great title, right? He wrote a song but kept it for himself. And so he wrote the song Light of Day. He wrote that for the movie and became the title of the film. Uh, Joan Jett still plays that song live. It's a great song. I, I like it. Pound and song that uh, Springsteen plays or has played live many times over the past decade or so. Good little single. I played it back in my radio days. Threw that thing on. So from here... Uh, Joan Jett starts to put out albums and tours, albums and tours, but there's not the hits. But she kept kept releasing albums. There was a cover album called Hit List. It did have a little hit on it. Went to number 36. She did a cover of uh, ACDC's Dirty Deeds, and it was all right. It was it was all right. But the best thing on the album, I thought, was a version of the Chamber Brothers song called Time Has Come Today. Again, taking a uh, 60s little psychedelic piece like she did for Tommy James and bringing it into rock and roll future. Little guilty pleasure for me. 
she keeps, Joan Jett does, keeps releasing albums. She has, uh, all through the 90s and 2000s and all the way up to today, she, she's releasing stuff. Paul Westerberger, the, uh, the Replacements, he played guitars and, and had some vocals on the Notorious album, a song called Backlash. Beyond 2000, she had her 11th studio album back in 2006. Good little rocker called Sinner. Unvarnished was her 12th album in 2013. That album reached number 47 on the Billboard 200 album chart, becoming her first album to chart since that hit list in, in 1990. Let's, uh, let's play a little piece of that. It's a song called Fragile. Fragile. Love is so Joan Jett and the Blackhearts continue to re- release albums, uh, release music, play live. They released a song called, or an album called Change Up, the first acoustic album ever recorded by the band. And what it is is a, uh, acoustic versions of some of the great Joan Jett and the Blackhearts and Runaway songs. For that matter, there's a relaxed vibe to it. Pretty, pretty true to most of the music, but there's some that she changes the vibe on it a little bit. The best on that album, I think, was a little acoustic version of Cherry Bomb. Bad nights causing me the blues Get down, ladies, you got nothing to lose Hello, Daddy, hello, Mom Cherry Bomb Dig, dig that. Oh, that's great. She never stops touring. As I said, she's on the road with Molly Crew and Def Leppard. When Nirvana was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame back in 2014, the surviving members said, Hey, Joan Jett, why don't you perform Smells Like Teen Spirit with us? And she did. And if you go back and look at that YouTube video, she kills it. Kindred soul to the roadways of, of a band like Cheap Trick is Joan Jett. She can open for any little subgenre of rock, go out in front of any band, potentially blow the headliner off of the stage. I mean, that could happen. I've seen her do it. I've seen Cheap Trick do it. I saw uh, Mario Speedwagon back in the late 80s. They're still pretty hot. Cheap Trick opened for him, and Cheap Trick blew him off the stage that night. So that that's what Joan Jett has, has that potential to do. She's pounding attitude, pounding guitars, sass. And smarts, years of stages and towns and festivals and lights and crank guitars. It's her legacy as a female rocker, as a rocker in general, but she sets the template for anyone, any women, any young women who want to see how rock and roll's done. Joan Jeb, baby. That's rock and roll, right? Rock Pop and Roll is a production of Rockford Media at rockford.com. The Rock Pop and Roll podcast is written, edited, and produced by Rob Nichols. Email the show at rockpoprollpodcast at gmail.com. Find Rob's written work at rockford.wordpress.com. 
archived episodes and podcast links are available at rockpopandroll.com. Go there to access all of our social media links for Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. All right, Rock, Pop, and Roll. I'm Rob. Thanks for tuning in. We always have one last fact, and we play you out with one last little piece. But our one last fact involves uh, the great Tommy James and the Shondells. So the story was that Tommy James made a rough mix of Crimson and Clover. He wanted to show Roulette Records head Morris Levy. And so a few days later, Tommy James stopped by the legendary WLS. And after the interview, he was persuaded to play a copy of that rough mix that he had made for Morris Levy. He wanted to play it. Just play it for us off air, said WLS. Well, the station recorded the song off air. And then they started playing it. And it started to be popular. Roulette Records legend has it that they sent 800 copies of the rough mix to WLS for promotional purposes. The single was eventually released in this rough mix version. Levy said, no, you can't. No, you can't mix it. It's going out like this. And it didn't matter. Stayed on the charts for two months beginning in December of 1968. He was on the Ed Sullivan Show on January 26th, uh, 1969, the song went number one on February 1st. Less than a week later, spent two weeks at number one on the Billboard Hot 100. It was a number one song in Canada, in Germany, in New Zealand, Singapore, South Africa, Switzerland. It was a number one. Top 10 in Austria, Brazil, France, Holland, Italy, Israel, blah, 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 blah. Huge, but was not a hit at all. In the UK. Yes, there you go. The UK loved Joan Jett, but they couldn't find a way to love Crimson and Clover from Tommy James and the Shondells. The irony of it, I guess, right? Who knows? What? Listen to that long version of Crimson and Clover. The nearly six-minute version of it. Put some headphones on. It, 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 it'll be good for you, trust me. That's Rock, Pop, and Roll, the podcast. Thanks for listening. Do you remember we talked about the Sex Pistols and Joan Jett recording a version of I Love Rock and Roll? Do you remember when we talked about that about 25 minutes ago? Wow, here it is. Thanks for listening. This is Rock, Pop, and Roll. Be good to each other, and we'll talk to you next time. Listening to Rock, Pop, and Roll.